Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett, and we're really lucky today because uh, Kurt Fernley has given us his time to be able to share with us some messages um, where we try and change the conversation to brain health and fitness. So thank you, Kurt, for your time today, and welcome. Thank you. So would you like to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and a bit of your background for people that aren't aware of your you know, what you're up to and what you do. I'm Kurt Fernley. I, um, oh, I raced wheelchairs for a big chunk of my life. Now I'm figuring out a new path. And I, uh, I host um, ABC, ABC TV's One Plus One. Um, I host a couple of podcasts. One that is Tiny Island that I love, that is uh, traveling around and talking to as many people as I can about what it is to be an Australian. Um, I also host You Little Ripper, which is a Paralympics podcast brought to you uh, um, during Paralympic Games, which is actually just starting up in a few days' time for the Winter Paralympics in Beijing. I I really just love telling stories, to tell the truth. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know I... I I didn't know I would find something as much... I loved as much as, um, as racing wheelchairs, but... Once I once I finished that part of my life, I I just started just having had people share my story for for a good couple of decades and being the beneficiary of that, creating a space where people feel comfortable to share their stories and open it up about about what they're going through is just something that I that I fell in love with. So, what do you think it is? Um, I I mean, I can understand how how much benefit you get from you know, winning races and the exercise that comes from all of that and the achievement and the goal setting. Can you can you speak to the heart of why you think sharing these stories is so helpful for you, but probably also for the people that you're helping? Look, I think that sometimes we get so caught up in day-to-day that we rarely get the opportunity to sit down and, and talk to somebody for you know, for 45 minutes, for an hour, for an hour and a half, you know, like often days go by and you might run into the same person and speak to them for 10 minute chunks at a time. But, you know, sitting down and truly talking about what someone's belief system is or um, like I had friends that I've brought onto the podcast and I've learned new things about them that, you know, like I remember talking to a mate who I've ran into a number of times over over the last 10 years and then I I sit down and I speak about how his parents were heroin addicts and, and I didn't know that because I hadn't got past the score of the cricket or I hadn't got past the what you've been doing lately you know conversation and uh, so so I think that being able to give that to lots of people who who may not have the opportunity to sit down and have a yarn with Steve Orr or or Craig Johnson or Craig Foster or um you know like uh, it's 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 something that I like and I think I, I I raced for Australia for a lot of years it was a part of who I was but rarely do you have the conversation about what that means what is it that the green and gold is beyond the superficial beyond the you know uh, we we look after your mates and you know punch above our weight or something so it was also an extension of okay well you've you've raced for this country for so long who is this country and creating a space where you can talk about that I I truly believe that 
we all need to talk about who we are as a country or else it can get co-opted by those that are going to bend it to their own their own benefit and you know some people can get in there and tell us what it is to be an Australian but that's I think that's that's dangerous so it's about giving people varied conversation about who we are that's um that's a wonderful goal so as a fellow Australian what has been some of your greatest lessons that you've learned about who you think you're, what you're learning that who we are as Australians is in 2022? I'm really curious to, to hear your side of what you've been learning from other people in our country. You know what? One of the biggest things that has kind of shone through is that we do seem to have this hope that we are a country that wants to be better, uh, that there is this... Um, desire that we both own and understand and speak truthfully about the 60,000 years of, of, of heritage of this country, not just the 200 of colonisation. There is this, you know, this, there, this, this hope that we will continue to change to be better each year and each, each, each day that we go forward. Um, there's a continual conversation about the relationship with Indigenous peoples, um, and there is the idea that the, the 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 idea that when things do fall apart, we are a country that does do what we can to look after people. Uh, one of the things is that there's one of the common themes around that um, th there is this almost period of when you ask that question, if they're not expecting it, um, there is this question that you see go into them about. I don't know if there's anything unique about who we are anymore. Is is there? But then you expand that further, and if you're a journalist, you're a farmer, you try and compare and, and bring out their experience as a journalist when they travelled overseas. The the ideas of of what it is that you did that was different when you were in you know when you were in even New Zealand or Europe or the US or, or farmers about you know what is it that the, the farmer has to put up with in Australia that they don't need to put up with in, in Europe or, or the UK? So, you know, it, it's about kind of um, allowing people time and a space to actually think maybe there is something there. Um, but I, at some point, I think I've done about 100 episodes, at some point I will have to actually go back and, and try and get statistics out of it or something yeah. because um, at the moment I'm still in the creation part rather than the assessment. And I can't think back about trends, but it'd be interesting. I, I do talk about, you know, the, the uh, whether or not a republic or a monarchy, but in general I'm more interested in uh, individuals' thoughts about who we are, where we're headed, and their levels of comfort around that. Yes, well, uh, I think that's a really worthy goal. And and as an Australian-American myself, because I lived in the Bay Area for a while, um, I think that thought process, like if you were to ask me that question, I don't think I'd have an immediate answer either. Like, Yeah, but as an Australian-American, you could draw. I would draw comparisons about your experience in America and about, uh, you know, whether or not there is a, do you notice the difference between, you know, the egalitarian kind of, 
um, basis of the cultures, you know, is there a difference? So you, you'd be surprised about how even your initial thing is, you know what, I don't know. When you do kind of expand it further, you do find little bits and pieces around there, it's, especially uh, especially at the moment. I feel yes, every other country in the world, there's so much going on. There is. Um, We're coming to you at a... We're talking together at a really, you know, pivotal moment in our history together, I think. Um, And this quest, this is why I think this question is so important right now. And I think that's being addressed acutely in the situation that the Ukrainian versus the Russians are finding themselves. And I have a friend actually from the Bay Area who turns out to be Ukrainian. And she said, when I'm there, people say to me, are you Russian? You're Ukrainian, doesn't that mean you're Russian? And she posted on Facebook today, I don't think you'll ever ask me that question again, for example. Yeah, uh, what what an intense moment where the Ukrainian people have, have been asking what does it mean to be Ukrainian? Like at the end of the, like they are, they are having to ask themselves that question every minute of every day now, uh, because if, and if there is no response to that, then there, then then there's no reason to fight, you know. But if there is a response to that, then that's the that's the thing that 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 they kind of resist for to keep alive, and it's um having the the Ukraine is actually one of the most successful Paralympic nations like they're in the top five Paralympic nations in every single games um they have these um, and I'm not sure why but they they have this mixture of talent identification but a cultural acceptance of Paralympic movement that that has allowed them to cement their place in there and so because it's an important such an important and pivotal nation in the Paralympic movement it is it is a just a weird time because you know, like there are, you know, the, the your friends are waking up each day and and wondering, you know, if or what tomorrow will will, will be like for them. And yeah, it's it's what a, again the twenty twenties. Can there can there be more? <laughs> can there be more chaos? Can there I be know. more? And, and the answer is there can be. <laughs> yes, but we're gonna just try and just kind of get. Get and by this, the best we can. I think um, because that conversation can go in so many directions that are so important and it's not to dismiss the importance of that conversation. It's just to talk a little bit about what you just said is about resilience and strength. And I think the, the thing about what we're trying to achieve together on this conversation is to demonstrate to everyone just how much strength and resilience we have inside of us that we're not even really aware of. And I'm sure you've realized this many times in your life. And the reason we like to share these conversations is to help people see that just like you and me, each of us have that capacity and it's not to put down anything you've been through either um, because everyone you know, has many, many things that they've had to face. It's not to dismiss any of that, but it is also to help people see what they have inside them and, and show them like what you tapped into um, like what people are, we're seeing, you know, on social media, what people are tapping into is just incredible to me to watch. Yeah, they're, they're having that conversation not on a, not who we are as a people, but then then they're having that conversation about who they are as individuals. And uh, the reason why I said the 
Um, the reason why I really like to have that yarn about what it is to be an Australian is that I do think that if you don't talk about it, then somebody will turn up, usually a politician, will turn up and start telling you who we are as an Australian. And, and that, no, that, I don't think that goes anywhere good. That, that, that is, um, that, you know, when, in, if anyone ever sits in front of me as a, as a politician and tells me who we are as a country, I, I, I know that it's, it's, it's purely for their benefit and I switch off, you know. Um, but the who we are as an individual, I think, is a really important conversation because that's one of the, what's how I feel, one of the one of the stepping stones of of trying to create that that drive within you, you know, like you can. There's lots of ways to become, you know, to to manipulate your resilience, you know, by by, by setting small incremental goals and slowly chasing them. But there's also a way of like fundamentally setting up your baseline of having that conversation. I am you know, whatever follows. I, 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 it may be, I am an extremely empathetic, understanding person who gives out warmth and love to each and every person around you. And that may be your baseline. Mine is somewhere along the lines is I'm extremely strong. I'm extremely resilient. And no matter where I head, I will never give up, you know, like, because I've had that conversation, that's where my baseline is. Right. So I, I think that that conversation about that individual conversation about who you are is really important to have as well. Yes. Um, and can you think about where some turning points came for you that allowed you to drive that conversation so strongly in your head? Do you think it came from your parents or did you think you were like, this is where people think they're either born with something or they're not um, grandparents or, or is there, or is it some people say it's just came with practice and experience through your life? I think that it came through the input of lots of people. I think I'd be doing a disservice to them uh, for not um, giving them the, 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 the kudos, the recognition. Um, but, you know, that there, there are things that you are born with and there are benefit, not there are, there are, um, experiences as a child I think that helped you know always had a, a warm safe loving environment a caring space for me to feel like I was safe um, and then on top of that I was able to uh, be given the knowledge that I have to be out in community I, you know I need to be figuring out who I am in the uncomfortable parts of the paddocks where I grew up you know, so they, my family made sure that I understood that life was always about being amongst it. It was always about getting your hands dirty and, you know, being a part of the community and, and the community, um, because I had a physical disability, I think they invested a lot in me and made sure that I always understood that although it is a bit of a challenge, it is a bit hard. You are going to be crawling while people are walking next to you. You know, there are cuts and bruises and it's a bit slower, but they also they give me the, the knowledge and the environment that I was always accepted as I was and that I was always able to look up and ask for help whenever needed. There was no feeling that if I would ask for help that I was a burden, that I was, you know, something that was that was negative, that was always on the, it was always on the spectrum of strength, you know, like it was being open and 
open with your perceived vulnerability around people that are willing to be a part of that experience and make it easier for you. But that put it on the, that was, that was the strength side of the conversation. It was never seen or, or shaped as something that was negative. Wow, that's I'm really grateful that you've you had that start. Um, I, I imagine on your podcasts and your interviews, you've met many people that had quite the opposite situation happen, but then they still managed to um, gain strength, uh, maybe from other people or something. I'm interested in your take on all of the work that you've done in these spaces of what they dug into as well. But it's all like everyone's story is completely different, right? I think that some people, some of the people that I think are some of the strongest people in the world are extremely vulnerable and manage to uh, adjust and and, and engage um, with that still. So it's hard to really talk about anyone else's experience. I, yeah. I'm trying to think about like a specific example that's the opposite of mine, but there's it's too varied. Um, yes. <laughs> so it, 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 there's just so many different ways that people find their way. Um, and I feel with this mixture of both gratitude and guilt as well, but gratitude because although people see my story in a certain way, they see it as this, you know, tough kind of thing. My my story in reality has just been extraordinary support, extraordinary advocacy um, and levels of support that I know is unusual um, and I know there are many people out there with, you know, experiences with disability, experiences with whatever uh, variation on life that's in front of them that don't get that, but the, the, the guilt, um, the, the gratitude is there that I know that I got it. The guilt is there because I know so many other people in the world that just just would benefit from that upbringing and that yeah. levels of support around them, but um, but I they think, don't have it there. I, I feel like, um, well, the thing I notice the most is your mentorship of other people um, and you're helping younger people come through. Um, your um, ambassadorship, um, I think, is really helping other people too, even if they don't have that support around them. I, I think this is the power of individuals as well as groups that I see is that how much you've stood up and, for example, um, my beautiful niece, um, she's now in representing Queensland in gymnastics and, and once upon a time people in her situation would have been in institutions and things like that in, in my previous lifetime and to see that happening and her winning, standing on podiums and always wanting to be on gold, for example, is like you have to understand you've made a huge difference to lots of people in this regard. And my sister-in-law, for instance, she's really grateful for your ambassadorship in these spaces as well. So, so you're, you do have this amazing effect on people that you may not be aware of out in the community. Yeah. I think that the, the community itself, the community of people with disabilities have kind of looked after the previous generation since the beginning, you know, like the, the Paralympic movement was always something that was, that was had to rejuvenate itself. Like it, 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 nobody else was looking in this space. So our community made sure that you had to take ownership and, and, and cultivate and keep alive the movement. And if you didn't, uh, then you've just, 
you've lost the game, you know, like that's, that's, you, you've fought a battle and lost the war because if you, even if you create the most incredible thing that exists and it's blooms and it's amazing, if there is no person to follow you, what was the purpose? What was the use? What was, even if it's only intrinsically, like the selfish part of you, your story will stop if there is no person to carry it past your immediate experience. So all parts of the Paralympic movement understood that we need to, to rejuvenate it, the, the, the movement behind us. And, you know, I would land on the doorstep of Louise Savage as a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, Jerry Hewson, Paul Minari, Paul Wiggins, um, Canadian um, world champion Jeff, Jeff Adams would allow me in his house to crash on his couch for a month at a time. Like the entire culture of the movement understood its responsibility to make sure that the next generation got use of you and uh, you would be beyond a hypocrite. You would be beyond, uh, I don't know, if you, if you don't recognise that, then... I don't think you have really understood who we are as the as the movement itself. So, although I've I've loved it, you know, having kids like Reed McCracken through my house and Jake Lappin, and um, you know, having these these young Paralympians seeing Madison De Rosario's uh, experience to become Paralympic champion, seeing Isis Holt go from this young just beautiful, warm, 12-year-old kid to the unbelievable fierce young woman that she is uh, competing for Australia. Like those are, those, those are some of the best memories. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm not alone in, in that um, side of the sport. That's kind of, that's half of the sport. That's the reason that's it, you know, that's the job. Wow. That's a, uh... I really think that speaks so much, Kurt, to um, this, these interviews you're having about what it is to be Australian. Um, it's the rejuvenation, like we all have a responsibility and how we're going to do that together. To, I think that what you just described there would be an amazing feat if we could do that going forward for Australia at a, at a bigger level, really, isn't it? Because when you feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, it really does contribute to you know, everyone feeling like they've got an opportunity to thrive, so to speak. Yeah, but so the funny thing about the Paralympic movement is that it, there is no border to it. You know, Scott Hollenbeck would invite me in to his training camps in the US. Um, Saul Mendoza in Mexico. Um, Tenny Gray Thompson in the UK. I remember turning up in the UK not knowing what I was going to do. And Tenny, she's named Tenny Gray Thompson. She's one of the most well-known and respected Paralympic athletes from around the world. It, it's like she adopted me. You know, <laughs> she yeah. took me out. She paid for my dinner. Um, there was there was something that was bigger than any country. Then it was a true true kind of family. Um, environment there and it is still there like it really really is still there um so it's 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 funny because disability from outside the circle can be seen so isolating and uh, but when you're inside 
And then you get this door opened into the Paralympic movement, which is a movement for people with disabilities. It is one of the most uniting and, 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 and uh, I don't even know, like it, it, it is truly a, 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 a kind of family that you get brought into that is actually like a proper functioning family. <laughs> it's, I've got a, got a few dysfunctional parts to it, but it is, but it is big and it, it does kind of in general really have a, have a care for the, the rest of the athletes. It's that's um, something that I was not aware of, which I'm really glad to learn about. And from that um, you must philosophize. I know this is, high level but you must philosophize then about and when you're you know want to do good in the world I guess you must think about that feeling versus where we are in the world in terms of dichotomous conversations um, peace versus war you must think about that parallel of what it takes to achieve um, something where we're all more working together and maybe it needs a more common purpose I don't, I don't, I don't know now how, I don't know how you take that because would the, the Paralympic movement exist because it was ignored? Um, it was ignored by, and there were people in the shadows from all over the world who were put in the too hard basket. And out of that, the Paralympic movement was born. So it was out of hardship a connection to other people who were going in through hardship, built this thing that was beautiful and strong. So I just don't know, like, I don't know how you make a comparison to where we are now because, unfortunately, you know, there is hardship all around the world, but out of hardship there can become this beautiful thing. So do we have this real acceptance that hardship shall be a part of all of our lives forever, yeah. um, but 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 also, at like it, 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 the reality is, yes, it will in some form or other. Um, but at the moment, at the moment, some of the hardship, um, I just switch off. You know, like social media, I, I have to switch off. I, I I'll delete it off my phone and have a month without it because you get caught up in things that I think aren't real. And, you know, there were, there were periods of time that if I believed the environment that existed into my, my Twitter or my Facebook, I would have thought there, was, there were fires in every corner, in every, you know, residential street in this country. But there's not. I go outside of my street and I... And I love them. I love my street. We get together and we have beautiful parties and there's, you know, five or six um, families and they vote for every different party. (laughs) You know, you've got a continuum from the Greens to One Nation and proudly speak about it, but I would happily see my children left in their care and charge because they are beautiful, kind people and it's it feels like online those those divides are amplified to a point where they are false hardships. So 
Although I'm like, yeah, there will be hardship through everyone's life and it will go on and it will be there forever and there will be beautiful things come out of it. There will be tragic things come out of it. But then there's also these, at this point in time, I feel like there are these, there are these fake hardships. There are these false hardships that we sometimes need to just turn off. Um, so um, just out of curiosity, what I'm hearing in the background is that people that join you know, Paralympic movement or some kind of sport are getting benefit um, that they didn't realise, one, because most people think they can't exercise, for example, or do other things. What's your take on um, the, the uh, benefit from doing things like that that you didn't, don't think you can do, for example? Uh, the benefit for me for the Paralympic movement was like getting cheat codes to um, to live. So you get to hang around a community and, and rather than being isolated with a disability, feeling like you're in a silo where, you, where you're, you're just trying to create the wheel again and again and again, you live in a community that has learnt the ins and outs of disability over the last 70 years and you get to get all the shortcuts. Um, so you you see, you know, you might be new to the sport and have um, lost your leg, and then you see a guy with one leg jump six feet high. Or uh, I remember seeing a guy who lost both of his arms sit down next to me and eat um, eat a feed with a knife and fork in between his toes, you know? And so it, it truly just gives you an understanding of who we are and who we can be. This idea that there is such a variation of experience of um, people with disabilities who just nail it. Like they just, just nail it. And you find somebody who may have the exact same disability as you and you get to just talk about the true experience about who you are and about what you do and about what's helped and what's gotten away and, and get the cheat codes so that if and when that hits you 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 don't feel like you're stuck in that silo you've you've got that name that face that experience that 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 real world kind of tangible moment where you go no, no. Or, or when somebody stands in your way and says that kind of happen you go that's happened get the hell out of my way <laughs> you know that's real and and that is um that's just part of me now you know like and, yeah. and and that is the thing that actually affects most people with disabilities is that person that stands in the way i love cheat codes i love that concept is that what you is that how you meant to the young people, for example, is that some of the words you use or did you just come up with that now? Uh, I, I, I refer to it sometimes, yeah. Like, So if you bring a young kid into your house, um, you think that they will be there to learn what to eat or how to train or the technical side of pushing a wheelchair, but they will actually learn that you're a guy in a wheelchair with two children or with a, with a non-disabled wife or who, who, you know, drives a car sometimes too fast, you know, or, or learns how to create a wheelchair that doesn't get in the road of life, that actually is an extension of who you are. 
um, so that you, like you you learn the things that you you wouldn't the kid takes away the things that you wouldn't expect. It's those those shortcuts that instead of having to learn while they you know beat up against the world, they learn it by seeing that's real tangible experience. And and I do try and always make when you do meet a kid with a disability, you have to be real to them. You 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 don't want to be the you don't want to be a poster on a wall. You want to be Kurt, the the guy that you know their they or their mother or their father can call when a kid in the playground calls them a cripple. You know, it's really really important and has always been, I believe, important for the Paralympic movement to have real people helping real people and. I got given the cheat codes when I was 13, maybe a bit younger. The first time I met, his, his name was Michael Callahan, guy in a wheelchair. We've lost him, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, he saw me and Uncle, and I knew them all as Uncle Errol. Uncle, um, Uncle Kevin, he was our first Paralympian. He's an Indigenous man. And, and um, we all knew them all as uncles, aunties. Um, so I turned up there with brakes and handlebars. And they looked at me and said, get rid of your brakes, get rid of your handlebars. You choose where you go and how you go there. So I went home with a hacksaw and I hacked the handlebars off my chair because no one was going to push me. And I hacked the brakes off my chair because they said, you don't need brakes. You've got hands. You control when and where your chair stops. So you have this complete control over your wheelchair. And it was just like mind blowing. It was all of a sudden, it was, it was like, okay, like I am in control of every part of where and when I go. Um, and I remember doing that to a kid in two kids, Peter and John in Nairobi, in a, in a township there, a slum there. And there were these little kids pushing them throughout the school. And I remember taking them aside. I was staying there for a week. And I just said, you choose where and when you go. You don't let anyone push them. And these little kids are just all of a sudden, they refused to let somebody push them. And you could see this strength in them when they were pushing up and down. And then they started racing around the school. But this is, it's this real, that's the code. They got the code. They saw it. They had a real world experience. And they went, wait, I am independent and I am strong. And that's who I am and where I where I go and it was like it was it was immediate and unfortunately I haven't been able to see him for the last couple of years because of this pandemic but it's at some point I look forward to seeing the individual men that they grow into and that's just such a powerful statement you made you know how we talked earlier about mentoring and parenting and all of these other things and what you're describing is just how much a difference you can make through your own behavior and, and like the person that mentored you at 13 was so powerful in your mind and then you're passing that on. So that person has passed something to you that you've already passed around the world, way away from Australia, for example, and, and these things are so impactful, aren't they? Well, if, if they are done right, you know, like I truly believe they have to just be real. You, they have to be in the trenches with somebody where they see, they smell, they, they are a part of it, like that it is, it is their real tangible experience. I can't believe that it is, uh, 
it's a meme or a picture or anything. It can't, that, I don't think that. I don't think that is, you know, gonna gonna make you know pass the pub test or the sniff test or whatever that is. <laughs> um, if you do it right, as in you are sitting in the dirt, experiencing what they're experiencing, and then show them and bring them and be a part of their world, then yes, you truly can. If you're passing in their world and it's a passing comment, probably not. But if you are real, if you are open, if you own their experience and yours, then I truly do think it can be. It was to me because Uncle Earl, Uncle Michael and Mrs. T and Uncle Kevin, they were there, they were real, they were living my life the way I wanted to live my life. And, and yeah, and, and I'm, I, I, I did see that and it is, it is um, that is a real tangible example of how, you know, John and Peter, um, that worked as well. It's just hard to talk about because you do see that I, I was seeing these kids grow up and then, the pandemic hits and I can't get into, I've got this little school over in Nairobi and I can't get into it anymore. So it's I like, know. I hope, I hope they're still doing it. Yes. Um, but I, well. I had a teacher over there that would send me videos, but she, unfortunately she's moved on. So I haven't actually seen them for about six months. Yeah. Well, let's hope that everything's okay. The COVID pandemic has <sighs> been very hard on so many people, especially young people, actually. Um, all the data showing that young people have suffered the most from the pandemic. Yeah, I don't. I think um, let yeah, and I truly believe that there has been some real hardship, especially like you say, in young people. I'm a high school teacher, um, but let's see what they make of it. You know, <laughs> yes, like true. we might we might have a generation of people who are tougher than all of us. Absolutely, <laughs> they've, they've had to deal with some shit that we didn't have in our lives. And hopefully we can uh, do our best to make sure that they they use it. Wow. You know, like they they make this something that makes us all better. Wow. Is that how, what is that what you do for your students? You showing them that light? Um, I haven't actually been in I'm a I'm a bit of a, a fake teacher. I haven't been <laughs> in a classroom for a while, but we talk about it with our kids, you know, like they they're only little. Um, but I've spoken to them every day about how strong they are and, um, and about, you know, all this homeschooling, how, and we've taken the time while they've been at home to have a lot of physical adventures and, yeah. um, you know, out there in the bush and learning how to ride bikes. Like I got to ride 15K a day purely because homeschooling was probably too stressful <laughs> with my young fella. That wouldn't have happened without the, the, the COVID experience. Yeah, so which is probably, hopefully there are good things that came. Yeah, probably some advantages too that we saw. Um, I know that you're really busy and and I don't want to take up too much your, more of your time, but um, as a fellow Australian, I want to really thank you for everything that you've done. Um, some of us, some you won't realise, all these people, including myself, that you've touched in many, many ways that have been very helpful for my own family and, and um Oh, many people, and I've heard about other stories. Um, I interviewed Monica Murphy on the podcast, um, who was a Paralympic swimmer, 
and uh, she had lost one of her legs. And one of the tips she gave the audience was in her, in the worst of her kind of sadness about it, one day she just woke up and put on a fin and went swimming and did that every day <laughs> until she became a silver medalist in the Paralympians uh, Olympics. So uh, that is such a powerful story for people that, don't have the same uh, problem with getting up and going running or swimming, for example. It just demonstrates to everybody the ultimate power we can find when we need to sometimes. And I just want to thank you so much uh, for mentoring the future generation and keeping the dream alive for everybody. So, and thank you for your show. It's really great. I think it's benefiting <laughs> lots of people as well. Well, look, I, I, I do. Um, it's, it's funny that when I think about thriving minds and you talk about resilience and um, if I could offer one tip and that would be go back to that conversation that we started at, that conversation about who we are, like truly sitting down and saying, well, who am I? And the who am I might only be 5% of your life, might only be 1% of your life. It might be that person who I donate my blood once every four weeks or six weeks. You know, I am the person that will, you know, line up at the Red Cross and give my blood so that other people have a little better run at it. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, 100% of your life. You know, I'm not the person that packs up my job tomorrow and donates all of my time to a particular thing. Like it can just be, you know, putting those 1% in there to go, that's who I am. I do all this other stuff to kind of get to that point um, or because the realities of life are there. But try and find that 1% about who you are and, and, and lean into it and cultivate it and develop it and enjoy it. And no matter how hard it is or, or no matter where the, the moment is, try really, really, really hard to find a laugh in it. <laughs> you know, like, Absolutely. I think that I've... <laughs> I have sat in across the bed from a mate who's gone through chemo and we just laughed. <laughs> and I've had my own moments where you feel like you're dragging yourself through mud and you just, you try, try and find something that is even dark in there, but funny because that can help. Um, but also, also we have this real ability to impact each other all the people in our life, we have the ability to be the person that builds, that, that, that gives something that is light and good, or we can be the other side. And it's okay to be the other side because you will be the person that carries somebody who's on that other side at some point in time. But, but do, do what you can to be that person that builds the people around you as well because the more people that you affect around you and the more people that you get who feel like you are giving something positive to you, it just creates this real, real kind of uplifting environment. And we can't control the world. We can't control Ukraine, but we can control our next door neighbor, our relationship with them as much as we can, or, or, or the, the kid that's getting picked up by their parents next to your kid. You can say hello and find out their name, you know? So it's, it's about figuring out who you are, where you're headed, but also trying to 
trying to look after the people around you wherever you can as well. Thank you so much, Kurt, for your time today on the Thriving Minds podcast. We are so appreciative. Um, We know how busy you are. So thank you so much for everything you're doing. No problems. And um, thanks for the invite.